In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. It's a super exciting episode. We are going to unravel Jack's article on why, let me read it out loud, why off-season additions matter more to the Browns than ever before. Jack, Ian, I'm super excited about this one. Yeah, I've never been able to write an article before where I end up quoting Spider-Man of all people. Andrew Berry and his team know, with great power comes great responsibility. Excellent. So, Jack, first of all, can we sign all our players up at the moment for the future? So, this this article sort of is looking bigger picture um, with a particular focus on 2023 through to 2026. And when you go, well, why do you need to care about those years? That's because we're soon going to have Miles Garrett under contract, Baker Mayfield under contract, and Denzel Ward under contract. When you've got those three guys, that's suddenly the building blocks of your entire team. That's your three big stars you've got locked in. And then suddenly you have to be a bit more sensible about what else is going on. So it's very much a look at that, what sort of spots and places are available. So it's it's going to be a wider discussion, but we'll touch on some of the cap stuff as well. One thing I'm really worried about, Jack, is how expensive our O-line is. So, yeah, I, I... don't want to get straight into details here. We oh. want to take, take a step back almost um, before we get into it. So just on sort of the cap, how the cap works, just some sort of numbers with cap rollover, how that works. So effectively, the NFL salary cap, the league every year will set, here is the bar. So there's talk that this year might go as low as $175 million, and that's going to be that. And almost imagine the league's going to put this much money in your bank account, that's what the money you've got to pay all of your players this season. Jack, when do you think the league on average will put that information out? You know, I know a lot of fans are asking, like, when are we going to learn what the cap is? So what time frame do you see the league releasing those numbers? I would expect next two to three weeks is sort of where that's going to be. So the league said at minimum it's going to be 175 and they're not going to go any lower. But basically the owners have said they want the consequences of COVID to be dealt with as quick as possible. Um, and the sort of agreement the players got was it won't go below 175 this next season. So what happens with cap rollover? You've probably seen the Browns numbers much higher than this. Basically what happens at the end of every season, the NFL said you've got this much money to spend. Any money you've got left over that, and you've always got to have some money left, even if you take it down to 100,000, you've always got to be positive at the end of every season. That just goes into almost a a bank account. You've got a savings account, um, and then that's where your rollover is. So Sashi Brown kindly put 56 million in there for the Browns. Um, When he left, he's left that, and we are slowly just stealing Sashi's inheritance that he's left us each year because this is going to be the fourth year on the trot. We're going to outspend 
the NFL salary cap because we have had one of the most expensive rosters in the league over a four-year window. And fair, that's because we're able to. A lot of teams are not able to. So when you don't have good players and you don't have to pay good players, yes, you get the rollover money. But you know, one of the things that I think people sometimes don't understand is that option is not available to all teams. If you don't have the money there, you can't spend it. So the Browns are able to spend five million more. Well, if there's only half the teams in the league that are even capable of doing that, not necessarily every team is even going to do it. Yeah, we've been, just to put it in perspective, we've been the fourth highest spenders in the NFL in 2017, 18, 19, 20. Across those four years, we're the fourth biggest spender out of the 32 teams. And if you think, where's all that money gone? There's questions on that, but we're not going to delve on the past. Um, Have we got value? No, we haven't. We haven't been a team. You'd expect a team that spent the fourth most over that stage to be at least in the playoffs three of those four years, to be really competing for a title going all out. The other sort of teams are the Packers, people that are really, really good sides. So, um, yeah, it's almost we're spending when we've not been great, and then we're going to have to be a bit more sensible in the long-term future. So just looking at this, and the reason why this article is out there is what happens once you pay them three guys. And I think the most important place to start is with the offense. You've got Baker Mayfield. Just going to work on the basis that Baker Mayfield gets the same style of deal as Carson Wentz. Similar sort of top seven, eight and quarterback deal, which is pretty much, I think that's fair, saying Baker would get a Wentz style deal. Well, the thing about it is on offense that's odd for the Browns is the Browns right now spend, what, three or four times as much on the offensive side of the ball as they do the defensive side of the ball. And they're not even paying the quarterback, you know? So a lot of teams you find out like, Oh, like the saints or, you know, the Steelers, whenever they have to pay those big contracts, the number on offense spikes, you know, but you mentioned the Eagles, for example. I mean, I think the Eagles last year alone spent 144 million, I think on offense and 113 on defense. It was pretty close. The bronze was like 125. Like there was a huge drop off between the offense and defense. So once we bring Baker into that fold, we're going to have to sacrifice money somewhere on the offense, right? Yeah, just to look at the numbers sort of, we're top three on offense. We're top three at wide receiver. Um, The fourth highest team at wide receiver over those years has been 13%. Last year, we were at 16.7%. The offensive line, the highest, um, we're we're in the top three for offensive line. and so, no, there, there is a, been a lot of money invested in the O-line and in the wide receiver room that is just neither is sustainable at that level, especially once you pay a quarterback. The ironic part is the Bills, I believe, are what, number two in the league in spending on wide receiver. So this is another playoff team that decided to invest heavily in that wide receiver position. Yeah, and it's a smart, smart position. It's probably going to PFF. It's the second most important position in NFL behind a quarterback. So by all means, I'm not saying don't spend on it. But um, very much here, we're going to look at best case scenario. We're going to be super optimistic. And I ask how optimistic I'm going to be. Over this four-year window, I'm going to say 100% of draft picks hit in the rounds one to five, which you're going to say, hey, that's unrealistic. No one's ever going to do that. Let's start with best case scenario. Present the situation if everything goes amazing, because then you're going to see quite how tight we are um, up against the cap. Because the advantage of draft picks and why 
the whole article saying, hey, we can't miss on draft picks because if you miss on a draft pick, let's say it's a, a first round player, you're going to spend, we're picking late in the draft, 8 million on that player over the course of his four years. If you don't draft a player, you might have to spend 10, 15 million getting that same level of player in free agency. And suddenly that's a massive hit. So you're losing out two players where you should have had a draft pick. So drafting is really, really important. Almost we need to be less risky. So O-Lyman, great example. People all think, hey, Greg Robinson, but it's a pretty safe draft pick for tackles will generally come in and do quite well. Um, they're not quite as hit and miss as, say, a quarterback in the first round. Tackle obviously falling into that positional group that I find to be first round worthy. You know, I think we've talked about it. Quarterback, cornerback, defensive end, offensive lineman, and wide receiver are really kind of the only five positions I would be looking at in the first round. I guess if you're talking that 26, 27, 28 in, in elite safety or something like that's there, somebody that, you know, can change the game. Obviously there's going to be an exception, but yeah, in terms of locking up these guys on the five, you know, year deals, you're talking about utilizing that money on a core premium position, which obviously the Browns were able to do with Joe Thomas for a decade because they weren't paying anybody worth a penny in quarterback. So, you know, it, it's definitely, you know, and I, I know that if you talk to any Patriots fan, they'll tell you this, don't get emotionally attached to people that don't take the ball from the center's ass. So if if you're not sna- if you're not the quarterback in terms of team loyalty, you don't really matter. They will find somebody, they will get rid of you. So yes, Miles Garrett is probably the second most untouchable player on the Browns, but anybody else, be careful when you buy those jerseys because as the Patriots have shown you, to continue a tier of dominance, the quarterback matters and then managing the cap matters. Yeah, and it, it, it's brutal. Lots of People are like, hey, I, I, this is my favorite player. I don't want him to go. You, you've got to be really, really cutthroat. The amount of times people went, oh, the Patriots are mad. I can't believe they got rid of this guy. And then a year later, everyone's like, wow, why did that team pay so much to trade that player from the Patriots? Or why did they give him that deal? Because you've almost got to be a year early on getting rid of these guys. What you can't do, and it's the rule, that you really got to understand you cannot pay a player for what they used to be. So whenever you're paying a guy, you've got to think, Hey, I'm giving this guy a four year contract extension. He's going to be X good in the next four years. You can't go, Oh, he used to be really good for us. Oh, he's done really well. You've got to project it. Look at lots of positions. Some of them drop off. You've got to be aware of that. You've got to be careful. And quite a lot of times you ain't going to pay players once they hit 30, you're going to be like, no, we want out of that. Unless they're going to be the cheap free agents that you bring in rather than people you keep and extend. Yeah, and the perfect example to that, Browns fans, is go look at a guy named Jamie Collins, right? He's in Pitt, he's in New England. You know, England's like, oh, you can walk. Jamie goes, he signs with the Browns, gets a lot of money. Everybody yelled and screamed and kicked and complained because he was good, not great. Goes back to New England. All of a sudden, he's good again, and Detroit says, ooh, give me some of that. I'm, I'm hoping to relive that. And he's back to being bad again. So... You know, if you're looking at somebody like the Patriots, a lot of times when these guys leave to go out into the greener pastures, they may just find themselves uh, wandering back home because the system that they left, which made them all that money, is really the best system that they can, you know, succeed and thrive in. So you could be seeing that type of trend where 
an offensive lineman maybe runs out into the world, finds out that that zone blocking scheme that's not taught by Bill Callahan doesn't make him successful, and he finds his way back home. Perryman's a perfect example. Came in, reclamation projects. Um, fans loved him. Why? Because he came in as a, a no-hoper. No, he's washed. No one wants him. Well, we got him from the Ravens. That's There was two things about Perryman that everybody loved. Big play, work calls, and the fact that we got him from the Ravens. So anytime we can take somebody else's first-round busts and make them good for us, and he can hit home runs like he did, fans will love him. So could we see Brashad back in Cleveland? You know, he left after, you know, coming to an agreement on a one-year deal with the, uh, the Browns being behind Odell before Odell came, Odell comes into the fold and he says, I got to go to Tampa. Then he goes to the jets. So he's bouncing around the league. Yeah. So let's sort of look at the numbers. Um, we'll start with the offense. We're going to deal with that side of the ball first. So the fourth highest spending offense last four years is an average 50.6 percent of the uh, NFL salary cap Baker if you got Wentz's deal 17 percent which I think is really fair um, based on where he is we wait longer that could go up um, and so over that sort of 2023 to 2026 window nice four-year window and that's the first year where Baker's new deal is actually going to start because you've got his five years before that that's 13.8 percent of that 50.8 and that makes up 27 percent so 27 percent of your entire offensive spending is on one guy and then what do you do with the next 24 so we're going to be super optimistic you're probably thinking this guy's nuts if he thinks we're going to hit on every single draft pick bear with me because i want to present best case scenario and then we'll wind it down a bit afterwards so let's say half of the picks are on offense that's two first rounders second rounders third rounders fourth rounders fifth rounders it's 10 players over those four years that's 6.1 percent of the cap and then let's throw in eight more Day three, UDFA, vet Ming guys, Malcolm Smith, perfect example. Um, just can just be any more nice, cheap guys to just pad that room. That makes up 3.2%. So we've got Baker at 27. Um, sorry, Baker at 13.8%. Um, the 10 picks at 6.1%. And then the eight cheap guys at 3.2%. So that leaves four, six spots left on the uh, offense and 27.5% of the cap. So a, a decent amount, just a little bit under twice Baker, but let's start seeing what that sort of gives you. If we talk about 27.5%. So what I've more or less broken down, let, let's sort of look at some players currently on the Browns. If you paid Chubba big deal, it's 12 and a half million a year. Beckham's 15, Landry's 15, Hooper's 10 and a half, Conklin's 14, Betonio's 10. So if those were your six veterans, all, all solid players, that's going to make up 35.5%. So way over that 27 and a half. What we're realistically looking at, because 100% of those draft picks aren't going to hit, let's take it slightly down and we'll sort of put it into tiers. Three big guys. So we're going to say, if it was this season, just to put a dollar value on it so you understand it, three players in that 10 to 15 range and two players in that three to five range. You could probably jiggle it around and go, hey, we want two in that 10 to five. We want two in that five to eight, and then one in the three to five. But basically, that's what you're looking at as a offensive vets. You've got five guys behind Baker. Everyone else is cheap, cheap draft picks, cheap, cheap, and draft picks. Um, 
So no, that that's basically what we're looking at as a team on offense. And that's the idea. If you're talking about wide receivers, right? So like the bills have gone out and spent a, you know, a boatload on Stefan Diggs. The idea being that if you have one premium guy, that that should make life easier for the other guy, because, you know, we talked about this when Odell was going, that defenses had to account for in essence, two players to guard one of ours, which realistically should mean that other guys should be able to get more open. It's the same with miles Garrett. The reason you pay miles Garrett $25 million is because you can hopefully go cheap on the other end. You don't need to put 25 on one side and 10 on the other side. So there there's a little bit of that, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul when you do have an elite guy, the problem I think some teams get into is when you, you think you have the elite guy and that's the Jared Goff, the Carson Wentz, you know, where you pay them like these big, big, big dollars and then find out that maybe they're not quite the person that needs to be um, commanding that much money. And that's when you start really getting into some trouble. That's why you're seeing that the Eagles right now are in salary cap hell. The Steelers are in salary cap hell. And who knows what the hell the Texans are going to do with Deshaun Watson. So if you're a Browns fan, you know, if you're confident in giving Baker the money, that's, that's fine. But know that if something were to go wrong, you got a whole lot of world on your problem or a whole lot of problems now that are being introduced. Yeah, if we, if we just look at the Eagles, Carson Wentz has yet to play one snap on his new deal. And you think, hey, he signed that ages ago. He signed that two years ago, but he still had his fourth year. He still had his fifth year option. He, his new deal actually starts next year. And if they potentially trade him this season, they're going to spend over 30 million without him playing a single snap. And, that's and that was crazy. the same with Jared Goff, right? Goff's yep. in the same structure because they signed him real close to each other. His is about 50 million guaranteed. That's the most, that's the most expensive on. marriage counseling you'll ever find. But um, if we look at it, and it's pretty much a blank canvas, if we're talking about those years 23 to 26, we've got one player currently signed on offense who is going to be around then. Um, and that's just for one year. In the 2023 season, Hooper is under contract. Um, basically fully guaranteed, so he's going to be back. But we're pretty much looking at a blank slate. But I think it's just getting your head around. So we're allowed three big players, two sort of cheap vets, um, not like Malcolm Smith cheap. We're talking that sort of Hubbard, Keenum would come into that discussion. Kareem Hunt's new deal would come into that discussion. That sort of cheap veteran. So you're going to have some cutbacks, but it's almost looking at what do you do with those three spots? And if you're looking at the three big spots, you're probably looking at one O-lineman and two receivers. So whether it's a tight end, it's a deep receiver, that's basically almost what your three big deals come into. It's a tackle and two receivers. Um, Obviously, if, if you go and pay Nick Chubb, that, that's one receiver. Um, it, it's all a decision of do you do A, B, or C? Um, but I would say that's pretty much what your big three look like. And I think a lot of times people forget, you know, when you're talking about like the salary cap, when you're talking about these contacts or contract structures, because back in the day when the rookie contracts used to be so exorbitant, you know, it introduced a whole new world of issues. Well, now, now that rookies don't command that much money, what's happening is, much like we're seeing in major league baseball, you have these super high premium guys that people are paying for. Then you have rookie deals. This is kind of the structure the Seahawks use for a little while, but what's happening is, is it's kind of pinching out that middle-class talent of the NFL because you're saying, well, I'd rather just get a rookie to come in and play some snaps. I mean, when we, I think when we looked at uh, depots guardrails, it says on there, play the young guys and find out what you have early because the idea is, while a veteran may be able to come and be better for me, 
what is his cost of production? You know, so what's happening is, is I think the NFL may be starting to figure out over the next few years that these veterans careers are being shortened because they're in essence pricing themselves out of the market. So it'll be interesting to see if there's an auto correction because, you know, ultimately all these agents are going to start figuring out, well, if I go out and get my one or two big clients, these numbers, I may lose one or two clients on the back end because a team after five years is like, you're too expensive. And yeah, you're a, you're starter level. We can get somebody that's cheaper and younger that we can scheme around. So it is going to be kind of interesting to see how much the, the veterans continue to kind of cannibalize the younger players in terms of getting those spots. So the NFL is a constant evolving thing. When you have people like Andrew Barry and Paul DePodesta, these elite minds, they start figuring out the trends you know, that's, I think, why when you see them go out and sign all these one-year short contracts and stuff, it's because they know maybe these guys have to take that number lower so you can start plugging these pieces. So, you know, you mentioned about how when you can only have one in these tiers in these buckets. So if we do have a $30 million quarterback, you know, we can't, we can't sign Chubb to an $11, $12 million deal. You can't have two receivers making $15 million. But you are able to go out and find certain receivers, certain running backs, maybe a guard or something like that that you could bring in all of a sudden we you know we just mentioned about guys coming back home um you find a guard that you worked with in another thing give him three million bucks and you're able to plug him in like the browns are going to start having to find those opportunities within free agency once that system you know one of the biggest issues we had was the guys like the steelers i mean we talk about this all the time the ravens they go out and pluck these free agents and they plug them in and they get instant production. And you're like, wow, that guy's only making three and a half million dollars. And he got six sacks. Well, it's because the Ravens know that there's, and Belichick is another one. He is the master of this about going out and finding people with a specific skill set that fit his system, that he can maximize production with a low cost. So I think once we see Barry Stefanski, then you start seeing these guys implement that system and start defining roles. I think this is what drives Browns fans the most nuts on defense is we don't know exactly what that role is. Is Kevin Johnson a slot corner? Is Kevin Johnson an outside corner? Is, you know, Sheldrick Redwine a free safety? Is Carl Joseph a box safety? Like we don't really know what their roles are. Therefore, it's hard to pay them accordingly. So, you know, just giving people an understanding of, you know, when you're talking about putting a team together, it's not as easy as just say, oh, hey, look, Shaq Barrett's a free agent. Go out and give him $58 million. When on the other side, you got Miles Garrett. A, Barrett plays, you know, primarily in a 3-4, but we won't get into all that. But you can't do that because you have Garrett on the other side who makes $25 million a year. So your entire defense would be two guys. <laughs> it's, it's, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, so if we sort of just break that sort of down, and I, I think probably a better position is sort of, two on the 10 to 15 and we're talking about 10 to 15 in 2020 obviously the cap's going to go up it goes up about six percent every year 6.1 percent um obviously covid slight issue now but it's probably not going to be so much of an issue in 2023 but if you say you've got two big deals 10 to 15 got two in that sort of what six to eight six to nine and then you got one cheaper you're effectively saying those two big ones you're looking at one wide receiver and you're looking at one offensive tackle then in tier two in your sort of six to nine million, you're looking at a tight end because it's Stefanski's system and you're looking at a interior offensive lineman. Could be a center, could be a guard based on what you think. And then basically you've got one spot left, three to five million. And that's your 
offensive player, you can choose, and it might vary which year what you have, but you could choose a running back. You could go, hey, we're going to pay Kareem Hunt $6 million a year. You could go, we're going to pay our second wide receiver. We're going to go pay a third O-lineman. We can go pay another tight end that they really like. That's basically what your wild card is, but I'd be surprised if it doesn't fit that mold. So when you're going, hey, I really like Nick Chubb, let's pay Nick Chubb, suddenly you're going, right, we're going to not have an offensive tackle instead. And that's basically what it is. You're going to go from starting Conklin to starting a day two pick. And you need to just move with that. It doesn't matter if you pick busts. You've got to leave them out there. You can't go and replace him with a veteran of Conklin standard. Um, and then you couldn't extend Wills, for instance, because you're paying that expensive running back. So I'd say that's pretty much the the theory if you're looking at where it'll break down. Spent, expensive tackle, expensive wide receiver, medium tight end, medium interior alignment, and then your wild card. Running back, wide receiver, tight end, O-lineman, place it wherever you want, but you're talking three to five million last season. That's not going to be a, a game changer at any of those spots. Yeah, and the irony is, is I know you you take a lot of flack for this, and you know I'm sure Paul is in the second stage of REM sleep right now because we haven't hit the undrafted free agents section Ooh, of our... Uh... Who said undrafted free agents? Ah, you all thought Paul left. I've got eight spots from. So, you know, we mentioned Bill Belichick earlier, and I know that we've we talk about the Patriots sometimes as like this, this, this lore, but you know, you're sitting at pick 26 and the Seahawks did this for a while as well. All of a sudden you turn that into two or three picks and that's how you ultimately increase your percentage that you're able to get, you know, a second round, a third round, a fourth round guy to come in and give you meaningful snaps. That's how the good teams control costs. You know, because if you put all your eggs in the first round bucket and he turns into the guy from the Titans who's partying on yachts and violating COVID protocols, you know, and now he's going to be basically out of the league after one year, you know, that takes on so much more water. It's so much more of a huge hit. So when we talk about draft capital, you have to look at draft capital for what it is. And it's the ability to extend opportunity cost elsewhere. And I think that's the one thing where emotionally Browns fans struggle the most because you know, when you're one of us, quote unquote, we want you here forever. We want to give you all the money in the world. We want you to, to love us. And pretty soon it's like, we want people to love us that want to come here, that are willing to maybe take less money because they want to be part of a winning culture, but it's not ultimately something you can rely on. So that's why you have to make maximum use out of your draft capital. Go on, Paul. Here's a question for you guys or a solution. I've got a way of saving six million really quickly. Guess what it is? Trade cream hunt. Get rid of Tony Grossi. Come on, guys. You've got to be more out there thinking. Case Keenum. Loads of teams need loads of teams need callbacks at the moment. Do you reckon he could be on his way out? No. So you'll keep him next year. Um he's gonna hang around because of the structure of his contract. But yeah, I, I think the Eagles did really, really smart here. And I think it's where the Browns will end up going. We'll discuss it when we do our QB show next week. But um, I, would, I would draft someone. And when someone goes, hey, why would you take someone in the third round to back up Baker? That's not about replacing Baker. That's going, if I can pay someone pro, what, a mil and a half over each of their four years, that you're then suddenly paying someone six years for four years of being on a roster or you can pay Case Keenum $6 million a year. Suddenly, you don't want to be... If you've got a quarterback and five veterans, 
You can't be paying one of those five veterans as your backup quarterback. It's just nuts. Um, whereas if you get someone in there, Jalen Hurts, whoever that guy might be, um, that is a much better use. Enough. I, I would go as high as a second round pick. If you're really, really happy with that guy, second, third round pick, because they do two, three years. And if they have to come in, maybe week 17, they come in and light it up. And why would they play week 17? Because you've already locked up the first round buy. Then suddenly you flip that guy for a first because someone will pay it. Jack, let's take a comment from Twitter. What are you talking about, Duffin? You're an idiot. Why, why would you ever take a quarterback in the second round? I mean, the oh, was Jimmy Garoppolo a second round pick? Oh, wait, was Jalen Hurts a second round? Oh, oh, wait. So all these good teams have taken. Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. You kind of get the idea is these teams have done it. You just haven't paid attention because we were still chasing the first round picks, right? And the idea being these teams, these good teams are so confident. That's why while the league, yes, has parity, it really doesn't in terms of you have to get your team over a mountain, right? You have to get these core pieces in place. That's why Sashi Brown and, you know, Andrew Barry's referenced him several times in his, you know, recent, recent media stuff was Sashi Brown was kind of the architect of this. Listen, we have to tear this thing down to the entire studs. Let's stop remodeling this house. We need to tear this thing down to the studs. We need to get a Baker Mayfield. We need to get a Miles Garrett. We need to get, you know, these cornerstone pieces in place. And yes, you do have to draft right. But in the same breath, now you're creating a system where you're able to bring guys in. You're able to draft and develop guys. You know, I mean, look at the Steelers. They drafted and developed Juju Smith-Schuster, Juju Smith-Schuster, and he's going to, you know, he's going to leave. And you know what they're going to do? They brought in a Deontay Johnson in the third round in Toledo, and he's going to play out his contract. And then just like the Mike Wallace's and the Emmanuel Sanders's and all these guys before him, they're going to come in, they're going to get their use out of them, and they're going to send them on their merry way. And once you get to that point with the Browns where now you can use a second round pick on the Jimmy Garoppolo's, the Jalen Hurts, whoever it is, and they can develop underneath, it's again, it's an asset. It's a capital thing where, you know, you're not having to go out and spend six and a half million dollars on Case Keenum, which by the way, if Case Keenum comes in and turn Baker Mayfield into a top 10, top 12 quarterback, then he's worth every freaking penny. We know that. But at the end of this year, you're not going to keep 34-year-old Case Keenum on the books for $7.8 million. So we pretty much know that at the end of this year, to Paul's point, you know, you are going to free up, you know, a good amount. Because I think next year, I think Keenum's only worth like, what, a little over $2 million of the cap, where the year following that, he's going to free up $6 million. So even get rid of Case Keenum this year, you know, it's $5.1 million in dead money, but only a cap savings of two point one. So Keenum's effectively gone next year in terms of 2022, not 2021. Yeah, and it's one of them. This discussion is very, it's, it's theoretical, but it's also just advanced warning for what is coming around the corner. And it's good team problems. As I always bang on about, if you've got all the money to sign all your players, your roster sucks. And it's as simple as that because the salary cap is there to stop teams um, sitting there with talent in every position. And you're never going to be above average in every position. It's about deciding, hey, we can have four stars on here who are they going to be? Where are they going to be? And that's it. It's not like you can afford, hey, we're going to keep all this O-line talent. We're going to keep all this here. We're going to keep all that there. It's why one of the most important people on the entire roster behind Baker offensively so to number two, Stefanski, because he's there coming up with a scheme that elevates players, makes people look better than they are. And then probably behind that, before you even get to a player, is going to be Callahan, because Callahan can take these O-linemen and make them look a lot better than they are. 
Chris Hubbard is like a top 11 guard in the NFL this year. Chris Hubbard, that many of us, including me, would have probably been happy if it had been cut this year. And that is what it's about. It's about elevating the players you get. You let other people then go and pay them. Suddenly you start getting comp picks in the third or fourth round and you really start filling that roster. When we get to trading back, Ian said, you can have the 26th pick or you could have the 50th pick this year and the 50th pick next year. Suddenly you do that every single year and you are picking up so many more players. You're absolutely loading that roster with talent. And the more talent you get, the more money you can spend elsewhere. Yeah, and the irony behind it is, is if you want a perfect example of that, and you know, obviously I will always take time to give Paul's buddy, John Dorsey, a little credit. John Dorsey sees something in Wyatt Teller, goes out and get Wyatt Teller. Wyatt Teller, I believe, made, what, $900,000 or something this year? Don't even um, think that much. Yeah, I, I know it wasn't a lot because he was a former, you know, late round pick. And to be fair, the Browns gave up a little bit of capital. I think we gave up two day three picks. Fifth among and a them. sixth, yeah. Yeah, fifth and a sixth for him. And at the end of the day, I, I, I may be off in saying this, Jack, but where was Wyatt Teller ranked in terms of his guard play? I'll give you his grade based on his O-line play. So PFFs, where did he rank out every single O-lineman in the NFL? All linemen or just guards? O-lineman, number one, baby, number one. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, we paid Wyatt Teller this year uh, $920,000. Oh, I'm sorry, 2020, $750,000. So you got number one production from seven hundred. And $50,000. And a perfect example. Let's take Browns fans back a couple of years. And I was slated on Twitter for my take two years ago. And e- even Paul questioned me on a UDFA choice. I said, to be fair, that's rightfully so. I said, get rid of player X. I think we should bring in player Y. He's going to save two and a half million. And I think this guy is at least going to give us 90% of the production. That player was Colquitt for the Scottish Hammer. Many fans were up in arms that I would consider getting rid of a punter that is in the top five in the NFL league. It was disgusting. What are you doing? We've not seen anything from this guy. I said, just do it. You can't pay a punter two and a half million. And what happened? Scottish Hammer went on to be the third best punter in the NFL. Colquitt was fourth. No, nothing. It's not an anti-Colquitt. It's a, you can get these production out of other people. And when you've got that and you feel good, if you can get 90% of the production for less than half the price, you do it every single time. Other than quarterback. Paul, do you recall this conversation? I do very well, actually. Uh, Jack's always been going on about saving a, a million pound with a punter or a million to 600K, you know, it was common. It was a common thing, but um, Dorsey did sign some good people. He's, he signed uh, Mitchell Hubbard. Oh, I think from, uh, a, from in terms of uh, talent acquisition, I don't think that's where Dorsey struggled. I think Dorsey, I think, you know, I know a lot of people gave him slack about the real football players and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, yeah, when you go down the Browns roster, you'll see a lot of John Dorsey picks. I mean, yes, I know that he's a controversial hot button topic right now, but Jarvis Landry, you know, ultimately he traded for him. He brought him in at the time when the Browns had extra money. And you hope based on what we're reading in the media that he's paying dividends in the locker room. Now we've reached a point now where Baker has ascended himself to the top of the locker room. 
So while yes, Jarvis Landry is the leader in the clubhouse and all this other stuff, you know, that, that might be something that Baker has to take over and say, listen, guys, I get it. But as part of the business, we're all business professionals here. You you've shifted it. You can't have your wide receivers being the leaders of the locker room. You need to have your quarterback being the leader of the locker room, because like we said earlier in the podcast, if they're not a quarterback, there's no guarantee they're going to be there. Every chip outside of a quarterback is expendable. We just need to remember that as fans. No, and it's something that I, I actually did like what Dorsey was doing through his reign is mid, low, mid to cheap free agents were generally quite good signings. They'd ranked well on PFF in the past. Even some of the guys like Kush that didn't work out, it was a good addition. Um, they they had shown good track record. They was brought in generally on quite good deals. Um, he was willing to churn that bottom of the roster, which is exactly what you want. Um, so I know that there was some good areas there. Yeah, they didn't work out. Mitchell's Mitchell's no difference maker, and we might not keep him long term. Hubbard, yeah, he was signed to be right tackle, but that's more on um, what's his name that's gone. Um, Who's the OC? The offensive coordinator from last year? Uh, no, the Dorsey one that brought in Hubbard from the Steelers. Um, You're talking about Todd Haley? Um, Todd Haley, yeah. It's more of a Todd Haley signing than a uh, Dorsey signing, I believe. But it, he, he wasn't afraid to bring in these guys that could be just solid pieces. Yeah, he, he missed on a lot of the top expensive stuff. But in terms of the cheap guys, I think he did a lot, a lot of good. Go remember, he brought Hyde in and then got a third from him, if I'm correct. Yeah, he drafted Nick Chubb and Hugh Jackson refused to play Nick Chubb, so he just traded Carlos Hyde, which uh, it just reminded me of Moneyball, where it's like, oh, you've got to start Carlos Pena. No, I'm not starting Carlos Pena. I'm like, you've got to start Carlos Pena because we just trade him. <laughs> it, it was exactly that moment and it was glorious. Hey, get him on the field however you can. But so... We've covered the offense. Let's jump to the defensive side of the room. And I, I want to start with the, the edge room first, just because it's obviously the biggest deal on the defense. Um, possibly going to be the second biggest deal anywhere on the Browns roster for a while. So Miles Garrett, 12.6% um, when signed. We need to take that deal down for when it comes into effect. So we're saying that's 10.2% of the cap. Um, and him taking that leaves... 4.5% of the cap for the other four guys in that room. So we're saying you're going to pay less than half of what you're paying to Miles Garrett to four guys. And so let's break that down. A day two pick, two late day threes, UDFAs, basement bets. That comes in at 0.6 and then 0.8 for the pair. Um, so that leaves 3.1% of the cap. So if you, this is if you're looking at the max, most expensive edge room in the league. If that was the season just gone, the 2020 season, that'd be six million you're spending on that edge opposite Garrett. Um, so you're probably bringing that down to three. Um, Ian threw a name out there. It'd be your Vinnie Curry deal last year. Um, it'd be your Claiborne deal. Um, it's a guy like that. So you're basically looking at a day two pick, a Vinnie Curry Claiborne, um, two cheap, cheap guys, Weaver and Gustin, perfect examples, um, and Miles Garrett. And it's never, you're never going to have that stud opposite him. It's just not going to happen unless you hit on that day two pick in the draft. It's not going to be a stud on a veteran deal. Yeah. And what's odd is there's really only two teams that are going into 2021. And it'll be interesting to see how they are um, that have those multiple big paid pass rushers, right? So Joey Bosa, obviously right now is the highest paid um, in the league, 27 million a year. And then you also have Melvin Ingram, who people are thinking is going to be. He's a free agent. 
I think it's voidable, right? I think if he's, I'm not missing free agent. So he's going into 2021. He's a free agent. Yeah. So the, but I'm talking about in 2020. So the other ones you're talking about the bears, I believe have Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. And then the other one I believe is um, San Francisco. San Francisco has a couple of guys that they've paid, you know, big money to Eric Armstead is one guy that I have off the top of my head. And then I think D Ford is the other one. Um, but they went and paid pretty big money to those guys. The problem is, is none of them get up into that 25, 26. I mean, you look at the Chiefs, it's Frank Clark and then uh, Jimmy Bufutslik. I think like that Alex Okafor guy comes in there. Um, the Cowboys went out and paid Demarcus Lawrence, you know, $25 million. And then all of a sudden the next best pass rusher they have on the team is like some guy you've never heard of. So if you're looking at those top pass rushers, there's those two second tier guys, or you, if we go to the big tier one guys, there's not much falling underneath that. Yeah. And, just to sort of the same thing we did with defense, sort of breaking down those spots. If we look at, let's throw Ward into the mix. Um, his deal works out about 7%, which is massive it's, compared to the rest. We're talking about uh, Miles Garrett, 10.2. Ward's down at 7. Um, let's add in those 10 um, draft picks, the eight late picks. You've then got, um, based on, you've got 14.8% of the cap left which is a lot less than you've got on offense and even that they might push a bit more to offense than defense which works out if we're looking at last year that'd be 28 and a half million so if you're looking at say Goodson two and a half Mitchell three and a half um, Richardson at 12 and a half suddenly you've got 10 left but what it effectively work out is two high price vets in the sort of 10 to 12 and a half range and then three mid-tier guys like three to five um for your defense. So you've got Garrett and Ward that are going to be on massive deals. Then you can afford two higher price guys, 10 and a half to 15, and then three cheaper guys. So three and a half, three to five. Obviously you could twist that around, go for two cheap guys, two middle guys, and one expensive guy, which uh, might actually be where they go, but it, it's, it's going to be cheaper on the defense too. Well, no, not cheaper, but they can spend a little, but not spend crazy money. Yeah, and I think if you're looking for a comparison there, you see how the Rams have done it with Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. You know, they went out and got those two big guys, and then I think they brought, like, Leonard Floyd in for a small amount, and then you'll see that there's really not – I know Brockers is in there a little under $10 million a year, so that's that cliff, right? So you've got the two $20 million guys, and then you have to drop. You're not having any in that 10 to 20 range. Everything is below the $10 million threshold. Yeah, it's, I've, I've sort of left a slightly smaller threshold than you did for the uh, def, um, for the offense. But yeah, if you're looking at two around 10, two around seven, and then, um, what, oh, no, sorry, one around um, 10 to 12, two around sort of seven to eight, and then two in the three to five, it's not giving you much room for sort of deep amount of quality there you're looking for just pieces um one of those cheap ones probably a linebacker and then that leaves you four more spots so two cheaper guys on the defensive line two cheaper guys in the secondary um yeah basically you're, you're looking for probably one other starter in offense and defense uh, so on on uh d line one bigger name when i say bigger name i'm not talking ward and garrett big i'm talking sort of tier under that in maybe a safety, which Ronnie Harris could be one of those expensive safeties. Um, 
and that can get signed up and done and that is a spot suddenly filled um yeah it, it's it's not much wiggle room they just have to be very prudent with their spending and that's what it comes down to is is for those middle tier guys, you're probably in Jack, correct me if I'm wrong on this, you're probably going to see structures that are a little bit shorter. I know there's some teams out there that do different styles of deals. And the idea being that if maybe one of them doesn't work out, you don't want to have them lingering long. So what it is, is they generally make those mid guys high, you know, high loaded in the front, because if they need to get out of them, they need to get out of them quickly. So you start seeing, different tiers you know i'll be really curious to see this offseason obviously miles garrett got paid 25 then all of a sudden bosa comes in at 27 well in that same draft class as miles garrett comes tj watt and you know is tj watt going to get the 30 you know the 30 million a year we'll see the steelers historically don't really do contracts like everybody else the only person they've ever done a contract to and it's what they guaranteed the third year or there's there's something unique about the Seahawks and how they do them Jack you can expound on that but the only guy they've ever made an exception for was Ben Roethlisberger uh, so it's the uh the way it's, the Steelers do their deals they just do signing bonus the only guaranteed money they do is signing bonus uh the Packers I think is who you're on about Rogers is the only Packer because they only do signing bonus to guarantee they, they I think they only guaranteed like the second year so it was effectively guaranteed anyway because the signing bonus was that big. You were never going to cut him after year two. It's nigh on impossible. Um, but th- they gave it to him as a guarantee. Um, and he's yeah, the only one. He's the only one that's ever going to get one. Um, there's talk that Adams might, but I-, I think they'll tell him to stuff it probably. I mean, they didn't even give it to Russell Wilson or KJ Wright or Bobby Wagner. So I can't see them giving it to him. I mean, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah. But the, we'll, we'll be, we'll see. I'll see if the Browns, I mean, you know, Barry's going to have, I mean, he's, he's been under the Gregson, Napoleon, you know, the Howie Roseman. I mean, he, he's got a heck of a laundry list of people that he's worked under. And as this NFL, NFL evolves, that's why, you know, like everybody out there is like, Oh, why do you guys care so much when these deals come out? Because you want to see how these deals are structured. You really want to know. I mean, remember when that Conklin deal came out, everyone's like, wait, what that, that seems very odd. It's basically a fully guaranteed deal. So you know, it'll be interesting to see if Barry switches his, you know, style in terms of how he gets to the contract once he now has this type of roster to manage. You know, when you're trying to build the core, it's one way. But now that we're at this point, I'll be curious to see if he starts changing his contract structures. Yeah, and it was fascinating in the um, interview he did t- uh, today. Um, he's two points which he kept banging on about. One was structure, which we already knew because it was basically asked about COVID. Um, and what are you doing with deals? And it was the structure, which obviously they'll backload some to stop any cap being hit in the early years. But the other point he kept making, and he made it, I think, three times in the entire interview, was sequencing. And that's, I think, very much what um, Ian was just touching on there. You've almost got to layer these things over, look at um, this deal trans- uh, transfers into that deal, different things like that, and almost have that in your head because you've got to look at the you're paying this guy. And it's why when I talk about the four year thing, it could easily be you've got 23, 24 when you're paying teller and then 25, 26 is when you're paying wills. And you've almost got to structure that into your head already and be like, Hey, we're, we're looking at that because the minute they drafted wills, they've got to have a whiteboard that has almost his deal on in 25, 26. Don't worry about the, the amounts, just almost the percentage and go, this is our working plan because you're drafting that guy then 
you have to have planned what his deal looks like and does it fit within your plan in 25, 26? Because you can't just go, oh, we'll deal with that then. Because suddenly you leave it till then and you've got eight offensive guys you have to pay within a two-year span. Your whole cap's blown. So, yeah, there's no such thing as procrastinating in terms of an NFL GM. Like that concept does not exist. Yeah, and people don't understand sometimes that NFL they run in three-year cycles. They're always looking three years into the future. Every move you make now has that impact. And What's wild is when you hear the word sequencing, I just pictured Paul D. Podesta in that little meme where he's sitting there to the side. Like that is absolutely a strategy that Depot is beating into the heads. When I hear sequencing, I think of D. Podesta. Like those words go together. Like they say in Big Daddy, like lamb and tuna fish. So, you know, if you prefer spaghetti and meatball, we can go that route. But yeah, I definitely think that that's that strategy. Those guardrails that D. Podesta is really bringing in where they start layering the contracts. You know, we may see Ward and Baker, overlaid and maybe some back years just so they push them you know you're going to start seeing some stuff like that but yeah i think the idea of putting a pie on each one of the on the board that shows what percentage is going to each guy as we get on the road is probably something that exists somewhere in the halls of berea yeah and percentages are really strong and it's why you'll see lots of my work's all about percentages the reason for that is because basically for the last five six seven years the percentages are always the same the percentages rarely ever change that it's this player gets paid this because if we start talking about JJ Watt and Miles Garrett, you look at the dollars and you're like, oh, Miles Garrett got paid so much more. You look at his percentage of cap and they basically got paid the same amount because if something's increasing six and a half percent every year, basically, so is everyone's wages. The rookies go up exactly the same. All the stars go up exactly the same. So it's kept very much in line. So it's best to use that percentages. But if we're talking about this and obviously on defense, there's not a single guy sign that fills them holes that we're talking about in 23 to 26. If we look on the offense, Hooper is one, and that is one only out of the sort of all the different boxes that you got to fill. And it's almost going to be a game of when a deal gets signed this offseason, it might be with Teller, it might be with um, Harrison, it might be some free agents if they go out and spend the money there. We can start filling in those gaps of what the roster starts looking like when you've got Baker, Ward, and... Um, Garrett, and even if they pay Baker this year, we're not going to see that massive money until um, 2023 because that's when the deal actually starts. Even though they'll talk to him now, you've got his fourth year, you've got his fifth year, and then the big year. So um, we've almost got a, a game of fill in the blanks, and that's effectively what this article does. It just sets out here's the blanks, here's why they're there. Um, and I, I think generally everyone seems to have got the gist of it. I wrote an article a couple of years ago that says, when you pay Miles, when you pay Baker, suddenly your roster is not going to be very good overall in terms of talent. And that really upset people. This one seems to have gone down a bit better because I sort of broke it down a bit more and sort of put, here's your blanks, fill in the blanks. Um, but it's effectively the same concept. What do you think of Paul's ceiling right now? He's on mute, so uh, we can't hear him anyway. Well, that was really interesting, Jack. I found that riveting. Thank you very much for taking the time out and uh, breaking it all down in a lovely article. No, we've got loads of stuff coming up. So um, for the next four weeks, we're going to be coming at you three times a week at least. Um, so we're going to have loads of content. We're going to go through every single position. We're going to sit there and have a fantastic chat and really go in deep because we, we're obviously the big focus. And I always say it's about 50% in the next year. 30% in the year after, 20% in that 
third year, we're going to have that sort of delve within discussion and really look at the big picture um, in each room and have that really, really good conversation. So I'm really looking forward to it. I've got articles coming out on the dog land, um, but this is where you'll hear a lot more sort of, of my emotion. By the way, Paul, we can have this conversation openly. So the number of text messages that I got from people who are loyal listeners of the podcast that could not believe that you allowed a seven as the rating for the Browns versus the Chiefs. It was the number one talked about thing in my text messages the morning after. So, you know, I was very tired and I've, I've listened to some other podcasts recently and they used a seven out of 10. And I think to myself, come on be stronger. It's either a six out of 10 or an eight out of 10. So, yeah, I will tell you the people are watching. There was a little bit of a revolt. So, you know, aside from maybe making the sevens part of the playoffs, we may have to make uh, some exceptions and, you know, send the seven back to retirement. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, I looked at some of our numbers and they're really, really high this week after obviously we lost, and um, please do keep giving us feedback. Please subscribe. Please give us five stars on iTunes and wherever, everywhere else. Because believe it or not, we're a very good regular Browns podcast that gets lots and lots of listeners. You know, Paul, I think this, I don't know. We, we, had, we didn't discuss this pre-show, but, you know, I have been asked sometimes, you know, do we make money off of this podcast? And I can tell you, I do not receive any compensation. I don't believe Jack receives any compensation. And Paul, there's a good reason why that. So do you want to maybe take a minute and share why, you know, this, this podcast is just strictly us setting time out of our day to get it done? Yeah, sure. Because I take all the money and you two just, you know, do all the editing and talking and, but yeah, I, I'm living uh, the life here in London off all them clicks that I get. So uh, the yeah. salt daddy lives on. Ah, oh, the salt that is living on. But no, uh, jokes aside, uh, we don't take a penny at all. So, uh, yeah, all money just goes back it. into. Well, we, yeah, we, actually, it cost me. Yeah, cost we actually pay for the podcast. So that's Paul. <laughs> Between the editing software, the Zoom, and the uh, oh, yeah. the domain domain hosting and all that other stuff, yeah, we're we're net negative revenue. Yeah. So, so guys, save all our listeners from up, uh, 45 yeah. second ads about pillows and penis pills and, you know, fruit chews and all the other stuff. So, you know, most of you should be very happy that we don't make you fast forward 45 seconds every podcast, you know, with a lot of different listeners. But, you know, eventually whenever, we're waiting for the big one to come in, you know, whenever Nike or Gatorade or one of the big ones comes in Old and offers Viagra. us. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of them offers us, you know, the six figure deals, then you'll start getting ads from us. But for right now, you know, the three of us just like to get together and shoot the shit. And I'm, um, you know, my wife and you two single bastards, you know, you're lucky because you don't hear it all like, oh, you're able to spend an hour of your day talking to these jamokes. So, yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, all good if, fun and we enjoy if, it. If Viagra was listening to this, um, yeah, I'd be happy with just a six pills per week deal. That's fine. Well, you never so, know. Maybe um, they'll pop up. Yeah. Pop, pop up into my DMs. But no, it's just a massive thank you for you guys because we're just three mates that sit around and if no one was listening, we'd still be sat here having a chat. And um, it's just great having you guys involved. You jump into DMs, you tweet us. And uh, no, it's, it's genuinely really, really, really enjoyable. 
you know, most of the other thing people talk about the most is Paul's cooking. So, you know, Paul, I know you're an inspiration. To a lot of people out there, you know, you went with the romantic pasta dish, which I think inspired a lot of people to really reach deep into their kitchens to kind of make something unique. So, you know, it, it's enjoyable. I think everybody, you know, likes following along and, you know, we're, hopefully we'll get to meet a lot more people once we get out to the game starting next year. Cause there's some big ones, you know, we got green Bay and, you know, Kansas city, we're going back to Arrowhead next year. So there's going to be a lot of big games. Yeah. It's tougher on the road than it is at home next year. I'll tell you that's that. true. But uh, no, I think that's everything. Unless Paul's got anything to add. No, that's it. I just want to say, yeah, once again, please do keep comment commenting and uh, give us feedback. Anything you can do to help us please do let us know. Just don't rate the podcast 7 out of 10. <laughs> no, no, no. It's 5 out of 5 for podcast reviews. And if you were going to go for a 3, yeah, it can't be a 3, it's probably a 4. Yeah. There you go. Good all right, stuff. Jack, thanks for right. putting all that together, buddy. No worries. And as we always say, go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.